Hey, welcome to Voices in Japan with Ben and Burke. On this episode, we are joined by David McNeil to talk about Expat Empire. It's a company he created that is focused on inspiring people to live abroad and showing them how they can do it. Before moving abroad, David developed his career first to enable more working options once he made it to countries outside of the US, and he has now gained valuable career experience in China, Japan, Germany, and Portugal. He has traveled to nearly 60 countries, and his many projects include the Passport to Working in Japan book, which can guide others who are hoping to move to Japan one day. Please listen to hear the journey David started on when he was very young to make it overseas and the ways he has overcome the many challenges he has faced both before and after making it abroad. David. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on the show. No, thanks for joining us. All the way from Portugal. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's the time there? It's just about 8 a.m. right now. Oh, early. So yeah, you just, early. You just woke up? Pretty much. Tried <laughs> to at least get the sleep out with the shower and all that. But yeah, <laughs> happy to.、Uh, I, essentially, I know the, the time zone is very different, so I'm happy that we could make time to, to make this work. Uh, yeah, man, we've heard a lot about uh, uh, your story. Thanks for reaching out again. And it、uh, sounds like you kind of、uh, had a bit of an、uh, interesting path uh, to making、yeah. it to Japan. <laughs>、uh, I think、right. it might be good、uh, for other people to hear about that because some people might find themselves in a similar situation at some point. So, yeah, could you tell? I mean, we'll get into everything about how you lived in, this, in several different countries. But、uh, yeah, just real quick, could you tell us about that path and getting to Japan again? Yeah,、uh, so I guess it's probably best to start when I started being interested in Japan and studying Japanese, which was when I was 12 years old. So I、uh, started studying with a book and cassette tape set、uh, in Mobile, Alabama. So not a whole lot of opportunities to use Japanese, but I was interested in the,、uh, the culture. And I mean, for a number of reasons, I guess I just thought it'd be interesting to try this. And I suppose the biggest one was just. Studying Japanese、uh, to be able to understand anime, manga, video games, the usual stuff. I think a lot of people,、uh, at least around me, were interested in Dragon Ball Z and that kind of thing. So I thought, yeah, it'd be great to be able to understand some of this in Japanese. So I started studying the language. And it really just kind of snowballed from there. It was starting with, starting with that book and cassette tape set, then going to a community college course, even though I was, I think, 13 or 14 at the time. And then.、Uh, Then I was taking after school classes. My family moved to Los Angeles. There was a Japanese school there. So I was taking classes twice a week. And then after that, I did immersion programs, speech contests, started studying with a tutor directly, so not in a group setting. And then I visited Japan for the first time when I was 17, which was incredible. Went around、uh, in a group of high school students. Doing language learning, seeing a lot of the sites, going to a couple different cities, doing homestay. And I came back just really invigorated to do whatever I could to learn as much Japanese as possible and hopefully eventually spend some time there. Is,、um, is that quite a common thing to study in America? Because in England, where I'm from, like, there's no way you can really study Japanese formally. Like you, you can't really go to a college and they won't have an option to study Japanese. Really? Like、right. it's, it's quite rare. Like、yeah. I only,、um, only when I came to Japan did I met people that actually officially studied Japanese and they were pretty much、mm. all Americans. So I was quite surprised to hear that. So, but is it, is it quite common in Japan and in America to have Japanese as like a, an option to, to study at college or high school? I would say not so much. I definitely had to find this one. First of all, being in a big city like Los Angeles, there are more opportunities. This was a program through Osaka Sangyo University. So it was Osula, so O S U L A. So Los Angeles, that was the LA branch. And they would have Japanese students come there as well. And they,、um, they had kids' classes,、uh, teen you know, high school classes, as well as adult classes. So it was a great. Place for me to be able to go, but it was still, I mean, 
props, uh, big credit to my parents for driving me over there twice a week because it was not particularly close to our house and LA, you know, with the traffic can be quite difficult, but, uh, I wouldn't say it's common. I mean, it definitely was something that started, uh, with that book and cassette tape set very kind of small. And I just got more serious about it and more into it and more passionate about it. And I'm thankful to have had, you know, parents and family that's just extremely supportive and were able to, you know, create, help create those opportunities for me. So I wouldn't say it's normal, but if you're in a big city, I think you can find, potentially you can find those opportunities if you look for them. Mm. Were you, were you a, a gamer, David, when you were young or are you still a gamer now? Still am. Yeah. Um, not actually, at least as far as the Japanese stuff is concerned, I think it changed for me over the years from being, you know, more, um, anime and games driven to just really loving the country, making a lot of good friends there and, um, you know, keeping up my language skills and my passion that way. I probably kind of fell off the anime kind of bandwagon, maybe around college or a little after that. And I've still watched a little bit, but not nearly as much as I used to, but yeah, I'm still enjoying games. And I mean, when I go to Japan, it's still fun to go around to Akihabara and, you know, do these kind of things. So I still enjoy that for sure. What do you, what do you play? I'm more of a single player PlayStation kind of guy. So I guess, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I just picked up cyberpunk, so I guess maybe that says something, although I guess 8 million plus people did as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah just a lot of single player PlayStation. I've had the PS2, PS3, PS4, hopefully. Yeah, the, the five, when is the five coming out? Is it out now? The PS5? It's, it's out, but uh, very hard to find. So I'll just, I, I'm not into the mode of always trying to go to the store from the early morning and just wait around in line in hopes of there being one, especially now in foreign countries. I don't know exactly how it works. So uh, hopefully, eventually, I'll just see one on the shelf and purchase it, but I'm probably not going to search it out too hard. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't there some uh, news article or something? Some girlfriend like made her boyfriend take the ps5 back after she realized it wasn't an air purifier or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw that as well <laughs> it looks pretty cool though the ps5 yeah. yeah uh so david you had like this uh, it sounded like you started to build up like a pretty strong desire then to make it to japan but uh how did that how did everything go after uh yeah yeah yeah, so going uh, so that was when i was 17 i took that first trip came back super excited about it and then, of course, that was around the time of looking into university, figuring out what to do there. So I applied to a few schools, but always wanted to make sure that wherever I went, there was a Japanese program. But I also didn't want to just study Japanese. I knew many people that did that. I think that's a you know, fine route. But I wanted to be able to take some other experiences and other knowledge uh, skill sets abroad and be able to do that in an international context. I guess my thinking was... If I'm just able to speak Japanese, then, uh, and I wasn't as interested, by the way, in doing the English teaching route that I saw a lot of people doing. So I thought if I only speak Japanese, then there's not much that makes me better than a Japanese person that's already in Japan, you know, that speaks Japanese better than me for that matter and can fit into the culture better as well. So I thought, okay, I'm going to study business. And first I thought international business, but then when I heard about the program at the school that I decided to go to, which was the University of Texas at Austin, I, um, I decided to focus on finance instead. So I was there, uh, took another trip to Japan when I was 19, so after my freshman year, with a friend, just the two of us traveling around for a month, which was also great. But I came back thinking this time, okay, I've seen Japan twice as a tourist, one month each time which maybe isn't the longest trip, but it's a pretty decent length. Saw a lot of the cities and I just always still felt like I wanted to live there, but not necessarily go back again as a tourist. So I thought the next time that I come to Japan, I want to be staying here. So uh, went back to university, kept studying. And when time came around a junior year for the potential to do a study abroad, I decided not to go with Japan, even though I'd been focused on it so much but particularly because the program that I was in and of course the timing of the school year is quite different in Japan. So based on the trying to stay basically to graduate within four years, I ended up going to the national university of Singapore. So I still was in Asia, was still able to study some Japanese because I had a program there and of course finance as well. And I had just an awesome time 
being able to be in Asia, being in a different country, seeing a lot of different countries around Southeast Asia and kind of taught me that I didn't just need to be in Japan. I had a passion for living abroad and I could be successful and flourish in all different types of environments. So it's still, I still had that dream for Japan. Um, but kind of Singapore opened my eyes to some other possibilities as well. I did try to go to like, for example, the Boston career forum in the U S to network with some Japanese companies. And I did that for two, uh, two Octobers or November's, whenever it was. And I got close many times, uh, a couple of, you know, a couple of banks to get an internship or to have potential full-time opportunities, but I did not actually get those offers in the end. It usually went to a Japanese person I found out, um, which is fair. Uh, but it was quite disappointing and disheartening. But one great piece of advice that I got from one of the interviewers was, it's great that you love Japan, that you have this experience speaking Japanese, um, that you want to be there, but uh, maybe you should start out in the United States first, get that first job experience in the US, and then from there, be able to leverage that into an international context, particularly in Japan. So I took that advice and thought, okay, what am I going to do here to get the most out of my degree, to start my career the best that I can? And I decided to start an investment banking as an analyst, which was a popular job, I guess, coming out of a finance degree at that time. And so uh, from there, I kind of put the Japan and foreign abroad idea a bit on the back burner and um, just tried to dive into my career in the U.S. So I did that for two and a half years. I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was based for the first two years, to San Francisco. And when I was there in San Francisco, my thought was I want to start actually working at a tech company and not just at a bank kind of helping tech companies. So I moved into a product manager role at a gaming company in San Francisco. And I started working there, learning a lot. And eight or nine months in, we had the opportunity to go to another country, to either Van, uh, the Vancouver office or Beijing. So I said, please send me to one of those. I'm you know, ready to get that international experience. It's still been in the back of my mind. And uh, so I got the opportunity to go to Beijing for three months. Absolutely loved it. Um, I had visited after the semester I had in Singapore, just on my own for about two weeks, but it was totally different being there with a team, with other English speakers that were from San Francisco. And of course, on the company dollar. So that helped a lot. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I came back from that experience and I was really thinking like, okay, maybe China's the future for me because I had spent all this time trying to get to Japan and never quite made it. And, you know, I had just been to Beijing and it seemed like a lot of foreigners were there. A lot of things were going on. Of course, you hear about China. How did you, um, how did you find um, learning Chinese? Because you studied Japanese for a long time. Did that, did that help yeah. a lot? I think that it did. Um, of course, it's quite different. But And yes, of course, the kanji are quite different as well. But there's still a lot that you can draw from the experience. And even the matter of learning a language that's so completely different to English already sets up, you know, sets the stage for being able to learn new another new language as well. So um, I was only there in China for three months, but after the first week, I was already like, let me start learning Chinese. Maybe this is the future. And there was something about being in another Asian country where really I could feel how much more helpful it would be to be able to speak the language that once again, gave me that passion for not just being abroad, but then to be able to study the language and feel that much more integrated into the local society. How, where was your uh, Japanese by the time you got to Japan? Yeah, when I did, which was the next year, I had already taken the N2 exam, but that was when I was in university. I took the, um, or I guess it was the, actually it was the level two at that time, didn't have the N yet. And then I tried to take the one, got a couple points away from passing that when I was in university. And then I just thought, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> and I just put that to the side. I was like, oh, man, I, I spent way too much time studying this and preparing for this stupid exam. Um, so yeah, I'd already gotten the original level two by the time I was in Japan. And while I was in Japan, I also uh, studied with the tutor and prepared and did a lot of practice exams and finally passed the in one. Uh, I think it was in 2015. Did you finally then make it over here through a job transfer or through a hiring process or 
when I came back from Beijing, I thought, okay, maybe, yeah, Beijing's the future. I actually told the company, please send me back and for longer. I was hoping for at least a year. And uh, two, let's see, well, actually only a month uh, after I got back through, uh, yeah, well, it's a great surprise of mine. I was laid off in a round of layoffs at the company. And uh, that idea of going back to China just sort of disappeared. That was the gaming and, company? Uh, yeah, that was a gaming company there. So I thought, well, this isn't good. Um, and especially because the the night before the layoff, I got sort of laid off in the morning. And in the US, it's immediate. You know, it's you have like 30 minutes to get your stuff and get outside. So the night before, I had just had a meeting with my boss about how we were going back to China. That was in February and uh, going back to China in April. So it was complete news to him as well, at least as far as I know. And I'm concerned that the next morning he found out that this was happening. Um, so yeah, it was a big shock to go from great. We're going back and for longer awesome to, you know, having no plan. But I took that and said, all right, I'm not going to let any company or any situation keep me from moving abroad. And I still had that drive to be in, 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 well, abroad, but to be in Asia, if, if not Japan, of course. And so I took that time to then travel Europe. And that was one of my dreams while I was in banking. I was like doing all these Excel models and PowerPoint presentations, just daydreaming about being in Europe or just being abroad anyway. And um, while I took that trip through Western Europe, about, I think, 19 cities in nine weeks, I also was doing taking interviews in China and Japan as best as I could because I thought this is the time that I'm not in San Francisco. I have this sort of I've carved out this two month period of time where I can really see if something in Asia is possible for me. So I was networking with people that I'd met in China, you know, getting into their network, seeing if there were any opportunities, going to recruiters, searching around for opportunities in Japan as well. And what ended up happening is that the boss who told me uh, who went, I went to Beijing with and told me, hey, we're going back and then had to give me that terrible news the next day. Uh, he was uh, reached out to by a recruiter in Japan. Um, I don't remember exactly which one it was off the top of my head, maybe Wall Case or one of those, but they, uh, they were looking for someone to come to Japan and he was still planning to go back to China. So he sent me the opportunity and that was essentially the one that worked out. I mean, I, I did a home, sort of homework assignment, let's say, and turned in a presentation, had a couple of interviews. And the very last day of my trip, so I was waiting for the plane. You know, I'd gone through London. So going back to San Francisco through London, in the morning, I had my final interview. And then uh, maybe one or two weeks later, I got the job offer. So then it was a basically a process of getting the visa getting on the plane and I moved over there at the end of July of 2014. I say I had the kind of a similar experience that you were talking about, except for it was a little bit backwards. I uh, worked at Konami for in Japan for a, a couple of years, been a mutual friend of ours. She got me a job in there after I was working at a, a previous company and kind of got burnt out. And I was thinking mm -hmm. about moving to Tokyo and uh, I knew this girl that was working at Konami and she was like, Hey, we need uh, bilingual people. So I joined that company, but anyways, uh, uh, the kind of project that I joined the company uh, that was going on when I joined the company, like after the fiscal year ended one time, all of a sudden they said like they were just changing uh, direction completely, and like all these people in Sapporo and Tokyo, all of a sudden um, were put into different jobs and stuff, and then eventually uh, they decided to close their Sapporo office, and then people who wanted to go to Tokyo could go to Tokyo, but I didn't want to go to Tokyo, and. Um, but somebody within the company uh, introduced me to somebody in the U.S. or a di at a different company, and then like I got an interview through the U.S. office and stuff. So I was kind of at a crossroads as well, thinking about going uh, back to the U.S. at that point in my career. Right. But it was kind of similar. Like all of a sudden, just out of the blue, like the whole project got canceled and changed, and all these people either got to get put on a different project or just like get laid off or something. So it can definitely happen. Yeah, many times in my career, um, now I've had, I mean, jumping forward quite a bit, but now I've had three layoffs. So I'm very familiar with being laid off. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a painful part of working at some of these companies. But yeah, um, you just have to kind of pick yourself up and figure out what's next. And as you said, in your case, or in mine, maybe it's a connection that you made or obviously putting 
putting your resume out there and just seeing what comes back, especially if you have that dream of staying in the city or the country that you're in, which if it's abroad is that much harder, but you know, you, you, you take it as it comes. Yeah. In Japan though, you weren't uh, working in gaming though, right? You were working, uh, where was it? ASICs, did you say? You guys yeah, that's say right. Asics, right? How do you guys say As- that? Asics, Asics, England? Right? Yeah, we say Asics. How do you say it, David? Do you say Asics or Asics? Uh, usually, I introduce it by saying Asics or Asics, depending on where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because I always was used to saying Asics in the U.S., and then I found out, yeah, in many other places, including Japan, Asiksu, that it's uh, you know. Uh, yeah, quite different. So, yeah, I did. I did work there, and the reason, I guess, the way that that happened is that the person who was hiring for that role that I spoke to in the first interview was looking for someone with some gaming background experience, particularly to try to make the app that we were working on, which is called the My Asics app, which was a marathon training app essentially for people that were using the well, they didn't have to be using the Asics shoes, but I guess that's the idea. Um, So the person who was hiring for that role to do essentially growth marketing uh, alongside him, he was a product manager. He was looking for someone that could bring that gaming uh, gamification kind of experience and background. So I only had one year in the gaming industry because yeah, that, that was when I was laid off and I didn't have that marketing experience, which was one of the key things in the job description. So Actually, to be totally honest, when this opportunity came across the table, I thought, mm, you know, maybe, of course, I was very interested, but I thought, I don't know if I'll be able to make this happen. And most of my in- interviews up to that point were for gaming companies because I thought, okay, maybe I can leverage that. But of course, I only had one year of experience and some of the roles that they were you know, considering me for were more like director and things like that, which were clearly not only uh, much higher than my experience level, but this trying to apply my Japanese, which was great, but still maybe not at that, you know, very high, very, very high business level, especially with all the terminology that comes with that. Um, were you were you yeah. competing against other Japanese people or was it a position for a, for a, basically a bilingual person or that they, that they were looking for? Yeah, so the one that I did get, uh, you know, thankfully they they saw what I could do and I, put together as best as I could, you know, my marketing experience and did that in the, um, in the exercise that they gave me as well. But the description for that, and in fact, is uh, through the interview process, it was all in English. So there were people ultimately on the team that spoke very little Japanese, um, if at all. And of course, there were other people that spoke it completely fluently, better than me. So it kind of ran the gamut. But for that role, I think it was helpful, of course, that I had the experience of being really interested in Japan, traveling there, that I spoke it, but I wasn't tested during the interview process. How was business life or work life at ASICS? Was it a traditional Japanese company? I actually worked, uh, I worked in a few different Japanese companies. One of them was a really, really traditional one in a very traditional industry. Um, but what was it like at ASICS? Where's the uh, office again? Yeah, so the headquarters is in Kobe, and they did have a, a bigger office in Tokyo as well, but kind of off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly where where it was because we were working in a small uh, small office in a larger building in down like downtown Shibuya. So we were kind of an, uh, we had a great office and a great location, and we were quite separate from the rest of the company. And it was a process of joining that team and finding out that uh, the the previous manager of that office, who had just left right before I joined. Unfortunately, um, that's kind of always a tough thing to start with. But with that situation, it was uh, really realizing that he had carved out something quite different in Japan for the team. He was uh, originally, I think, from France. I can't remember, recall exactly. But he you know, was coming from uh, the European HQ. The company was set up in such a way that there was the Japanese headquarters, which was the main headquarters. But then again, they also had entities in each of these different regions. So they had one in California and Irvine for the North American region. They had one in outside of um, Amsterdam, kind of close to the airport for the European headquarters. So each of those had their own, I believe the title was CEO. So that was kind of an interesting situation where we were essentially in the global digital marketing team, which was based in Shibuya, but we were also supposed to be working across the company in all these different regions to try to 
globalize some of our efforts, even though from a company perspective, like legal business perspective, they were all separate entities. So it, it was a challenge to do that. But I think that's why they, first of all, wanted us in Japan because it is a Japanese headquartered company. But second, wanted us to be able to speak English and work across those cultural and language lines. So were you guys exposed to a lot of Japanese business culture while you were there? Or you guys kind of had a very separate expat world the whole time? Or it was, uh, it was a mix during my time. So I was there working there for two years. And at the beginning, we didn't have a manager uh, of the office. So that the guy that I mentioned had just left. And they were in searching for somebody and they couldn't find someone for a while, I think. And, you know, probably for a number of reasons. But eventually they did find a manager that came in who was uh, Japanese, but had spent time living when he was younger in California and things like that. So he had some American experience and, of course, great English. But that's when things began to change a bit, because at first we were kind of the, the foreigners doing our own thing in our own little office outside most of the, the site or the oversight, indeed. Um, the, the power center coming from Kobe didn't really have a way to reach us so well because we were doing our own thing. And all of a sudden now we had the manager that was connected and very focused on following through with the Japanese kind of plan or, or their, their, I don't know, demands or whatever you want to call it. Um, so it just, it, it went from feeling like a very free, comfortable, very Western space to I'm not saying it was the same as working at, you know, the Japanese office. I don't want to like create a, a terrible story about it because it was overall a fine place to work, but it was still like, you could feel that influence coming in. So I'd say, um, you know, I, I definitely got both sides of it. Kind of went from a bit of an expat heaven to actual kind of uh, <laughs> some yeah. oversight occurring and stuff. And <laughs> it, It's funny too, because you could see how those things would play out in terms of, um, for example, it was a uh, open seating office as far as just like, here's a bunch of tables and seats. Everyone can sit where they want to. So that was comfortable. That was very Western. But then as soon as the new boss came in, he picked his spot and he needed to have the people around him. So I went to sit over, sit over there one day and he was just like, no, no, that's for whatever other manager. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to another table. And <laughs> I never tried that one again. So it's those types of things that it's like sort of quote unquote free, but then free and open. But then at the same time, you, you find these situations where that doesn't jive with, with the Japanese culture. And the, those are like interesting situations to be in because then it's like, which way do we lean more? Um, and ultimately it was toward the Japanese way by the end. How about uh, outside of work? Were you guys uh, were you guys uh, out and about in the city a lot? And what was life like outside of work? Uh, uh, I mean, I definitely was. I my focus was always on you know having as much fun as as many great experiences as I could while I was there. So I was definitely enjoying being in Tokyo. I, I mean, I totally loved it. Took weekend trips as best as I could and things like that. Of course, not a lot of vacation days, but you know, you, you use them as best as you can. And um, uh, one thing that I did find quite difficult though, was uh, I had expected the the folks that I even interviewed with, let alone, I thought the office was bigger than it was, but it wasn't so many people. And the people that I interviewed with, I found out were uh, five to 10 years older than me with families. I mean, over the, over the video call on Skype, uh, it was hard to tell that, but <laughs> I found out when I got there that it was hard to indeed make those relationships at the office into something, you know, more than that and hang out after work. It wasn't really happening. So between that and being, of course, moving there on my own and uh, I did have a small network there from university or from my Japanese classes or this or that. So of course I talked to those people, but depends on, how close you can get to them and outside of just having a beer together sometime. And people are, of course, some people are working crazy hours and uh, yeah, I, I would say it was quite difficult to get set up in terms of friends there. And first I did a lot of events, try to meet people there. Um, eventually it was more through network and then, you know, friend of a friend. And um, I also found it quite hard to make Japanese friends. I, I ended up making some really great ones 
but it took some time and definitely a lot of effort on my end to to keep it going and show that I could hang, you know, in a Japanese speaking crowd. And, uh, you know, even if I was the only foreigner there. So I think that was a, that was a challenge, but I still made the best of it and definitely had an amazing time. Yeah. I think that's, that's something we get really lucky about. I think in like a city like Sapporo, it's, it's still a city, but it's not like a, a, a too big of a city. I don't know, Ben, what do you think? Like, I feel like when you get here, you get a chance to kind of become part of some sort of small group or community. And then like over the years, I've just like, yeah, that's expanded into even larger and larger communities. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think the expat community is quite small in Sapporo. So it seems like everyone knows someone that knows someone. So eventually mm -hmm. you'll meet each other. Um, but Tokyo is a lot bigger. So I think it's a lot harder to, to meet people but i think yeah the the issue that you have with um making japanese friends i think that's quite common for yeah. people that come to japan unless they you know kind of have to fully immerse themselves with japanese people and almost kind of shut themselves away from uh from foreigners in in a way right. and right. some some people do do that you know I've, i've met some uh some people that came to japan to live and they will almost refuse to be friends mm. with uh with non-japanese people um that you know they have a very strict goal um and i i, I admire them for for doing that but it, I, th i think it's quite difficult to do you got you got to be a special kind of person to be able to go through with that that goal i think yeah well some people some people are kind of like focused on that right like uh i mean they know that like they're probably just going to be in a country for a couple years uh along their uh you know process of getting into grad school or whatever just getting like some overseas experience because it, it does uh it does bring a lot of weight for like career opportunities uh compared to other things and uh i don't know like was that how was that your mindset when you were coming i mean it sounded like you had a long uh interest building for japan for a while but uh but when you say that you were only here for two years was there a specific reason for that or Yeah, I definitely went to Japan. I mean, finally to get there after so much time trying to make it there. I mean, I was so excited, so happy. And of course, that was where I, I never expected it to only be two years, I guess, from the very beginning. Um, I thought it would be longer. I didn't I didn't have this idea that, okay, this is the place where I'm going to retire. I, I didn't I didn't count it out either, but it wasn't some expectation like that. So, But what ended up happening for me was the first year was great. Uh, I remember almost exactly the year after I joined, we had an offsite. I think we were in Kamakura and we were like doing whiteboarding and thinking about the future of the company and our, our division. Everyone was getting along. We had dinner together, you know, drinks, walking on the beach and all this great stuff. And uh, then maybe two weeks later, the product manager that I was working with, and we were a two person team. So the rest of the development was all outsourced although by uh, at least through uh, Japan-based agencies. So we were still meeting with them a lot, but it was really a two-person team, even on a global level, we were managing it ourselves. So that guy, two weeks later, said that he was leaving for another job. So I was like, oh, <laughs> this is bad. It went from two people to one person. And this was, <laughs> you know, not that long after the new boss came in, things started changing. Other people had left as well. Morale was not as good as it was. And so then I thought, okay, I'm going to start looking and see what else is out there because I can kind of see this thing not going the right direction. And I'm typically the person that once I get a sense that the water is flooding the ship or even starting to trickle, you know, in some of the walls of the ship, then I'm usually like, okay, what's, where's the lifeboat? Where, what's next? Um, I don't kind of wait for the thing to capsize. So I thought, all right, uh, let's see what else is out there. And I started looking and I applied to a lot of places. I talked to a ton of companies. I was taking interviews in English and in Japanese. And yeah, after, I mean, jumping forward like 10 months, I still didn't find the right next opportunity. I got close on many jobs. I even got offered one, which was then um, reneged on, I guess you could say by the company. It was taken back. Uh, Even then at that company that I could have had that offer at, I wasn't excited about joining. I didn't see that being a long-term thing. I didn't think the company was kind of headed in the right direction. So I wasn't that excited about it. It just would have been the way to stay in Japan. Also at this position, it changed some months later, maybe six months after that, because then 
ASICs bought a company in Boston called Runkeeper, and it was a digital team of you know app developers and web developers and everybody else, marketing and all, all that, based in Boston, 40-person team compared to my little app now that I was running alone as the product manager from Tokyo. And so there was a huge shift in the, in the dynamic of just the digitalization of the company from this little product to this massive acquisition that they just made. So either I would have had to stay uh, in Japan, hopefully, although of course I was still on an annual contract, so who knows what would have happened there, but I would have had to stay doing something totally different, which I wasn't excited about. Because for me, it wasn't about the shoes. It wasn't about working at ASICs. It wasn't about marathons. Like that wasn't my thing at all. It was just, this allowed me to be in Japan and to do work that I was interested in. So if I couldn't do that work, then it was way less interesting to me. Or I could have moved to Boston. And that definitely wasn't in the plan for me because I'd finally just gotten abroad and I wanted to keep doing that as long as possible. So between all of that, between just tons of interviews that didn't end up going in the right direction. And of course, I was looking specifically for jobs in marketing or in product management to try to keep my career going in the way that it had, at least, you know, that was my plan at the time. So given all of that, I was looking at, okay, maybe this isn't working out for me in Japan. You know, I'm doing whatever I can. I'm taking so many interviews, even jobs I'm not interested about in, in, and, I get close to the end, but I don't get the offer or I get it and then something happens or I'm not excited about it. So then I remembered back to my trip through Europe and how much I thought Berlin was a cool city. And I talked to some people that had lived there that were in Japan now and they were saying how great it was. There's English speaking jobs there. You know, Berlin's such a cool city. So I thought, okay, while I'm looking here in Japan, I'm also going to put out some feelers there because I had some people in my network who can make, help me make some connections and I knew a couple people there. So basically, I started taking interviews and just also just throwing in my, my hat in the ring as far as the job, job applications were concerned. And then before I ended up getting on the, uh, what I decided to do was to quit my job in Japan because I could see that it wasn't going in the right direction for all the reasons I was talking about. And I was interested then in, okay, let's see if Berlin is happening. So I quit my job in Japan. And before I got in the plane, which was uh, going to be just a round trip to be able to see if I could um, network and you know find that first job opportunity there. I got a job offer. So I changed from a round trip to a one way. And then suddenly I was now living in Berlin. <laughs> wow. I think that's really important advice uh, for people who are living overseas because uh, man, the situation, a lot of people, especially about Japan, they think like companies like that, uh, they just hear about lifetime employment and uh, think mm -hmm. it can be a, a very stable situation, but there's a lot of reasons that it, it won't, it could become unstable. Like, uh, you know, the com situation of the company or the project uh, situation can change or, you know, for whatever reason, just like you said, like something big can happen where somebody leaves and all of a sudden you're faced with a new reality that maybe that's not, you want to be stuck with stuck in, especially in a foreign country. So, right. yeah, and uh, I mean, the whole time I've been here, I've always kind of been living a little bit like a year in advance and I was kind of thinking like, well, mm -hmm. wh which direction am I going to start heading next or what am I going to be doing next and stuff? And um, I mean, I'm sure you've picked up like a lot of this type of insight uh, living in different countries uh, that you have. And is that what's kind of gone into uh, starting this uh, business ex expat empire? Could you tell us a little bit more about that? And yeah, uh, the reasons yeah. for wanting to start it. Yeah, definitely. I think I think moving to so many countries and being able to have that experience firsthand and wanting to share that with others and also, of course, to share other expat stories is a lot of why I started Expat Empire. And I started it while I was in, uh, while I was in Berlin working for a company there. And once again, I mean, I've just, I've had, as, as much as I've tried, as I said, I've had a spotted sort of, I don't know, difficult record as far as many layoffs and quitting companies just not being happy with where they're going how it's going and i think maybe i hold the companies to a high standard as well i mean if i'm going to put in forth my full effort then I, I definitely expect something in return from them and i think just based on all of that i was like i wanted to start my own business and you know start small but see what i could do and the way that i started it was actually thinking okay how can i make a product um, you know, something I can put out into the world. And that was 
what became Passport to Working in Japan, which is a, a book just about my time in Japan, of course, sharing my experiences, sharing my stories, but also trying to give as much actionable, genuine advice for people that are interested in moving to Japan as possible. I tapped into my network, interviewed a lot of those people, put out a lot of surveys online in you know, Japanese Facebook groups and things like that. And just got a lot of feedback, even from people that didn't have my, of course, my unique、uh, kind of situation. And just compiled that into something that someone could read, walk away with some actionable tips, and just feel inspired about moving to Japan if that's their goal. Because for me, I looked for so long when I was in high school, when I was in college, trying to find a mentor to help me get to Japan or trying to find resources. And it's kind of scattered all over the place. And maybe it's, it's better now. There's a lot more websites with more information now. But At the time, I felt really on my own. And anything I could do, like I, I still remember when someone told me the first time about Boston Career Forum, and it was like, wait, they do that? That's a thing? <laughs> and I just was like, oh, I have to get there. I have to see how I can you know, try to leverage that and see if something can happen. So yeah.、Um, just putting all that into one place was how it all started. And then from there, it was adding in、uh, the Expat Empire podcast and blog posts. Uh, I have a meetup event that I run here when I can based on this situation、uh, here in Porto. But on top of that, it's also now、um, individualized consulting services to help people to make those next steps abroad. So I、uh, try、I've, to help、I've, them. Yeah, go ahead. I have some,、uh, some friends who are kind of late into their careers. So I would say, you know, kind of like mid, mid to late 30s that、mm-hmm. have kind of all been interested in coming to Japan. To work and live and, and, and try it out, but they don't really know where to start. So,、right. for someone like that, what kind of advice would you first,、uh, first give them to help them out just to get started? Yeah, I think this is a,、uh, an important detail is the fact that they're mid career. It sounds like they have some work experience already, and that's quite different from someone starting just out of university. But in that case, I would probably say, you know, depending on what their specialty is in, I think that's the key thing. So, is that something that is then in demand in a country like Japan? So,、uh, probably what I would recommend is, you know, getting a look online, of course, tapping into their network, you or others that they know that they're already in Japan that might be able to help make them some connections because those connections are important. And also to go to recruiters because I think that's a big part about, I mean, it, it, At least, even when I was there, not, alone, not even mentioning the fact that that's how I got the job initially, but while I was looking for other jobs in Japan, the recruiters, the network that you can build with those guys、uh, and girls is really helpful because they'll just send all kinds of stuff your way. Now you have to be careful to you know, make sure that it's really interesting to you and something that you want to pursue because, of course, they're paid in the transaction through that, that company that they're placing you in. Um, so, make sure that it's, it's something that you're legitimately excited about. But I think that's a great way to get into that network of opportunities,、um, especially while you're abroad, if you're not able to be on the ground in Japan at the time. Could you,、uh, could you tell us exactly what your process is、uh, for consulting and、uh, maybe give us an example of、uh, some of the successes you guys have had, whether these meetup events that you were mentioning or. Uh, helping somebody to start moving abroad, or how exactly does it work? Yeah, so、uh, the services that we offer are、uh, we try to make it personalized to the unique situation of the individual, as you said, and you know, someone in that case maybe will go one route versus other, somebody wanting to move to another country.、Um, but we do try to help kind of anyone from anywhere move anywhere. And the typical services that we end up offering,、uh, though we personalize as best as we can, are things like. Just a call to discuss the best practices about moving abroad. And that can, you know, that's sort of the things that you need to know before you move and what you need to do after you move and kind of go through the process that way. Then there's also figuring out what country someone wants to move to if they have a couple of ideas in mind or they're looking to retire somewhere, things like that. And then visa planning service to help them figure out the immigration parts and also you know, permanent residence citizenship if that's something that they're interested in. And international job search to help people polish their resumes, get things, you know, find the right opportunities, you know, get prepared to do those job searches as, as we talked about. And then also the timeline planning service to go through、uh, essentially a checklist, a very personalized checklist of what you need to do when you leave your home country and specifically what you have to do when you get to the, your ideal destination country and everything in between. So 
those are the typical services that we offer. And yeah, I've definitely uh, helped a number of people who are even in this stage, you know, very much planning their moves, uh, their retirements abroad or their moves to another country. And I've had some people reach out about Japan, of course, as well. Um, yeah, it's been a little bit slower in recent months and I'm still in the process of kind of building it up at this stage, but I've got, um, I'm seeing a lot of Americans that are looking to move to Europe actually. And, uh, I kind of expect that this latent demand that I think has been building up for not just for travel, but for new experiences, for new opportunities, and especially more remote working will really come to a head, I hope next year. So that's kind of what I'm focused on and just helping people think through that in this situation. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, businesses that are going to feel a quite huge kick to business uh, when some sort of normalcy starts to return to to life in general everywhere and stuff. And I think like uh, a business and service like yours is pretty interesting because, um, you know, moving overseas as an English teacher is one route, but there's obviously a lot of different options and probably moving to a lot of different places uh, there can be some differences and some specific things for each of those places. Like for me, it's really interesting because I, I moved to Japan, but I kind of moved to an area where I had relatives, uh, I'd been to mm -hmm. a few times growing up and stuff. So I don't really feel like I've ever gone through that uh, complete foreign experience, uh, moving overseas and, uh, going through all the steps by myself. So I think Ben, as kind of somebody who's uh, had more of that type of success. So it's always interesting for me to hear about what people think are important to be able to uh, do that. And uh, having a service like yours out there, I think is really important for a lot of people who might be uh, trying to figure out different ways to be able to move overseas. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Yeah. I mean, especially like f for me, cause I came over, I went the, the English route and if you go over that route is quite easy. Like you get a lot of help from the, the company that hires you. Right. Um, but yeah, if you want to do something else, which basically most people kind of want to do when they arrive in Japan, they usually want to do something they enjoy or go, you know, make a career change that's away from English. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. So having a service like yours, um, I think that having that available would be uh, very helpful to people. And it, it, you know, it won't limit people just to, to teach English, like a lot of foreigners come here to do and because basically that's the easiest thing to to get into japan right and I, th I think it's a great route for people to start out in and get their first you know first step into japan um foot in the door uh, of course the, if you love doing that and that's your thing then absolutely by all means keep doing it um but if other people like, like as you mentioned or maybe most people are interested in doing something else i think uh having a more personalized view toward your situation, how to help you to reach your goals. And also, of course, coming from my experience doing a lot of the same things. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that that's indeed interesting and helpful to people. And I've seen a great positive response from, from clients and, you know, people checking out the service so far. So, um, definitely excited to see where it takes, takes me. Yeah, we should clarify this is uh, you guys obviously are not just specific for Japan, but there is a lot of uh, great support for Japan, I guess, because of your experience here. Right. You, you guys are like consulting for people looking to move to like any country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people come from all different backgrounds. It could be people that are just now getting the opportunity from their, their employer to work remotely. So, hey, where should we go? Or we're looking to settle down roots in the next few years somewhere abroad. What are some interesting opportunities for people retiring? Or, um, yeah, of course, people interested in Japan, working there um, in Asia and Europe. And so it's been incredible to see so many different backgrounds and people with different ideas and passions and already maybe knowing what country they want to move to, like Japan or being open to some different possibilities and really just wanting to see the world or see, see you know, uh, have different experiences. So it's been, yeah, really amazing to connect with people like myself, I guess I can say. <laughs> Where's the best place to find all this information and, and to learn about your services you guys offer? Sure. So, uh, everyone interested can visit expatempire.com and there you can also sign up to download like the first chapter and introduction to passport to working in Japan if the book is interesting to you but also we have the top 10 tips for moving abroad ebook based on my experiences over the last seven years and uh, you can also sign up for a free 30-minute consulting call so we can talk through 
your thoughts about moving abroad, whether that's Japan or elsewhere, and figure out, you know, of course, get some advice and some takeaways, but figure out how Expat Empire can help you to achieve those goals. Cool, man. Ben, is there anything else you wanted to ask about? Or David, is there anything else you wanted to put out there, maybe? I'm just I'm just very happy that you know David reached out to us to to spread his uh, his uh, company about expat empire. And I think it'd be really helpful for some of our listeners. So yeah, thanks for thanks for reaching out, David. And uh, it's been really interesting to hear about your your journey, your story. And you're actually in Portugal now, right? Fine, uh, your is it fifth fifth country that you've worked and lived in. <laughs> yeah, I, hopefully I'll be here for a while. But I've been here for one year and really love it. And uh, you know, it's been a process of doing. Yeah, uh, all well, everything I talked about so far. But basically, taking those experiences in Tokyo and, and Berlin and Beijing and uh, Singapore, and seeing what I liked about them, what I didn't like about them, and it's all kind of somehow pointed toward here in Portugal. So I'm really loving it. And hopefully staying here for a while because it is quite taxing to move abroad. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I've I've had my fill for the near future. But um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's been great. And I think part of that is the experience of just I've moved so many times that now I feel more comfortable where I'm at as well. Like I, I, it's not that I've lost the wanderlust, but I also know the value of staying somewhere for some time. So, um, but yeah, thank you both so much for having me on the show. I think. We really talked through kind of all the stuff that comes to mind that I think would be helpful for people listening, but I'm happy to answer any questions. People should feel free to reach out. And yeah, once again, thank you both so much for this opportunity. Yeah, man, it was great. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again uh, at a, another point down the road, especially after things like start to open back up in terms of people actually moving around to other countries a lot more and stuff. So look forward to that. Absolutely. Would be totally into that. Thank you. Cool, man. Thanks, David. Thank Great you. to meet you. You too. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. This episode of Voices in Japan is sponsored by Barefoot Bar in Sapporo. Barefoot Bar has craft beer and a tapas-style menu and also a burger menu. Twelve different types of craft beer, both bottle and on tap, and also local Sapporo beer on tap. Should also mention that all those craft beers are local Japan-made craft beers. They also have free drink plans available, student discounts on Thursdays. They're open seven days a week, 4 p.m. till late Monday to Friday, 12 p.m. till late Saturday and Sunday. And of course, they have whiskeys, basic cocktails, and spirits available. They're located on the 6th block of Tanuki Koji, which is the covered arcade shopping center in downtown Sapporo. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you've probably heard Ben and I mention Barefoot Bar before because simply it's one of our favorite bars in Sapporo, and now we're very happy to have them as a sponsor of the podcast.